8.03 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Is that the harpsichord? Oh, you know it, baby. Here we go. I don't even know what a harpsichord is. Oh, don't lie. You know I'm serious. Really? No. You don't know what a harpsichord is? No. It's, it's like a piano. Oh. Yeah. Yes. What did you think it was? What did you think? Hold on. What did you think it looked like? Uh, what's <laughs> like a harp. What's sure. the big, hold on, hold on. Just don't, big, don't talk. No, what's, the, what's the big thing that the angel plays when you go to heaven? A harp? a harp? Yeah. I thought it was like a harp. Oh, okay. I mean, it's got harp in it. Yeah, but it's a... Yeah, but it's a harpsichord. Yeah, you know, a piano is a string the, instrument. I thought the strings were chords. Pianos are string instruments. You know that, right? No, it's a key instrument, I believe. Okay. Music expert, Mike Halford. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it's part of the woodwind category. Hello. Thank you. Just like the saxophone. Right. <laughs> and the flute. <laughs> <laughs> they're all the same, right? now. You tell me. Who's oh, this? yeah. No, they're all totally the same. If only an industry had come up with proper Soccer, names. Soccer, football, <laughs> hockey. They're all the same. Okay, um, you are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, hour three of the program is underway. It is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can do so by visiting them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. We are joined now as we are every week by our next guest. Happy to have him on the program from Daily Faceoff. It's Frank Saravalli here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm good. I was listening to that intro music for the segment, and I was thinking it sounded a lot like the Succession theme song. And then in my squirrely brain, I was like, wow, what if we had a Vancouver Canucks Central Succession show? Is Jim Rutherford Logan Roy? How does this work? Uh, yeah. He, I mean, he would obviously be Logan. Um, who's the first son? Uh, not the – so the most uh, – what were the what is what's the awkward the most volatile son? Yeah, the no, yeah, the the son that's like uh god, what's his name? Now you're making me google it. Oh, okay. Uh It's yeah. Logan and oh god, you none of us know. I'm seeing we? his face, but I can't yeah. think of his name. At any rate, Halford, check the inbox. I'm sure someone's texted in. Uh Frank, let's talk about other things. Uh first of all, thank you very much for calling out Jack Edwards um on Twitter the other day. That was very enjoyable. Um, we didn't actually play the audio of Jack Edwards uh, and his comments on Pat Maroon, but has there been any blowback on Jack Edwards for that? Like in terms of, do you expect him to make an apology for that? Because it was really awkward to hear and to watch. I was actually watching the game and it was a really good game, but those comments were just so, they were just so offside and so unnecessary. I think unnecessary is the key word. Like, just let the game speak for itself. Like, why do you need to stray off into taking personal shots at someone? Um, I don't know. I, I just, to me, it felt just painful. Like, why go there? And I, I got a ton of reaction on social media. And a lot of, like, I got to tell you that a lot of it was directed at me saying, why are you such a snowflake for pointing something like that out? And, I guess like it, it it was just it was far beyond a bit or a joke. Like it just seemed mean, and I know how that sounds, but there was just no need for it. So I don't know. Just felt to me like a spot where it made sense to say something. I mean, this has gone on too long. Jack Edwards has done this time after time. I, if he can apologize, great. If not, I don't. I don't. I don't think anyone uh, is losing sleep over it. Certainly not Pat Maroon. But it's just why. That's my big question. Why'd you go there? 
Anyway, it was Kendall Roy, but uh, we'll we'll move on yeah. from that. Um, does it seem right now like the Canucks are in a bit of holding pattern in terms of the coaching decision and any trades that they might be doing? Uh, I, I know the coaching decision, all that talk seems to have calmed down a little bit now. Well, they've played better. Yeah, I mean, they didn't play very well against Washington the other day, and they got another game tonight against Florida. So I suppose with another poor performance, especially at home, we could have the Bruce Boudreaux, uh, will he or will he not be the coach for the next game discussion again. But, you know, in terms of the trade market, it just seems like it, it's just everything is so um, so bunged up, for lack of a better phrase, in, in, the, in the NHL with everyone being into LTI and – you know, making trades has just been such a challenge. I just wonder if we're just going to kind of punt until the beginning of February, maybe when the trade deadline is approaching and a real decision on guys like Horvat and Kuzmenko will present itself. And maybe that's the smartest thing for the Canucks. I, I mean, you, you've seen some of the reporting. You saw Darren Drager respond, I guess, to my ranking of Bo Horvat as number one on my trade targets board saying, well, the Canucks have made a decision that they would definitely like to keep Bo Horvat. And if that's the case, and I, I checked in on the Bo Horvat situation in the days since then to understand what, if anything, has changed, and the answer is nothing to this point. The Canucks have made no overture, as far as I know, in terms of trying to sign him to an extension. And I think holding pattern probably makes the most sense. Like, let's see how this develops, let's see what the interest level is like, and let's weigh that and any return against what we might do. There's no need to make a decision or a snap decision on December 1st. I I think it's pretty clear and obvious to me which way the Canucks are trending in terms of, you know, moving someone like Bo Horvat um, because of that lack of conversation and, and lack of, for better term, commitment to this point. But until it actually happens, I think you have to at least allow for the possibility that things could turn on a dime much like the way that they did with J.T. Miller. Do you think the market for wingers is going to improve this offseason? Because a lot of people are wondering what the Canucks might be able to get for someone like Connor Garland or even Brock Besser. Personally, I don't see the market improving much for wingers because there just seems to be a glut of them available it's way more of a premium placed on centers, as you know, and there's so many teams that are dying for center support and center help that honestly, I think in some ways that makes the decision probably even easier for the Canucks to make given what they could get in return. And given how easy of a piece, I think Bo Horvat would be to move that it it just becomes sort of one of those things that might be a no brainer. So that's the way I view the market shaping up. I mean, take a look at the trade targets board. It's mostly filled with wingers. Um, and that's, there's, there's rare exceptions, of course. And part of the reason why some centers make it onto the list is because there's so few of them that can impact the game that are become available. Who are the teams right now that are desperate for help down the middle? Oh man, where do we start? Uh, let's go through the teams. Um, Colorado is maybe the most obvious one. Yeah, Detroit. Colorado uh, is is certainly up there. I would say Detroit in the East. 
Um, I would say, um, I would say the, just going through the standings, the Edmonton Oilers are going to be looking for a center. Mm -hmm. The Boston Bruins are looking for a center. I mean, go go through each team. Like there's certain teams that you can peg. It's easier to list the teams that really don't need one. Right. And it's, it's like Toronto, Tampa, uh, Florida, like go through them. There's not very many the other way around. Um, even a team like Winnipeg, like I look at some of the injuries that they've had to this point in the season, you know, they waited a long time to be able to throw a one, two punch at you like Shifley and Dubois that I don't, do they need a, do they need a third line guy? Do they need a, another center of support after losing Andrew Kopp? Like, there's a million questions to ask, um, and certainly a number of teams that are looking for that support. I mean, you could you could make the argument: Does Vegas need another center? Like, there's a ton of teams that you could ask the question about. We're speaking to Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Frank, for the listeners, could you please explain and unpack the Alex Formanton situation in Ottawa? Because uh, on Daily Faceoff, you did a really good job of breaking it down. It's not just about contract negotiations. Apparently, it may involve a lot more than that. Yeah, so there really hasn't been much in the way of contract negotiations, and that's what has made every team around the league nervous and to shy away. Why does this team in the Ottawa Senators that has cap space that could clearly use more depth, why have they not engaged with Alex Formanton as today is the deadline at 5 o'clock for him to sign as a restricted free agent or else he's not eligible to play this season And a lot of teams believe, even though the Ottawa Senators have not commented on it to this point in the season, that because he was a member of the 2018 World Junior team, that he could be, that's been the speculation from teams, that he could be potentially involved in the sexual assault case that's being investigated by both the NHL and the London, Ontario Police Service. So um, that's been the big concern and holdup. It's why given what we just went through with Mitchell Miller and the Boston Bruins, a lot of teams that I've talked to to cross some teams off the list have just basically flat out said, really like the player. He's a good player, Uh, scored 18 goals last season. Um, But we're not even entertaining discussions internally about bringing him in because we just, we don't want it. We don't need the headache. And that's not someone that if, if this is the case that we'd like to add to our team. I think there's some others that are sitting here saying, well, what's the acquisition cost and what is the blowback? And then also what happens if he's not part of it? What happens if he's not guilty? What happens? Like there's a million questions to ask. And I think some people are saying, well, I don't want to prejudge it. We don't have all the information. Maybe we should take a chance. And then whatever happens on the other end of it, we'll deal with it. So I do think that there's been some conversation that's percolated in the last 24 to 48 hours. A lot of teams have done a lot of homework. Um, The league, of course, is not going to be closing their investigation before today at five o'clock. So in some ways, you're you're totally flying blind and, and making a guess if he does end up being moved. I think right now, if I had to handicap it, I would say it's 60 40 that Alex Formanton does not move. But there's a lot of other people around the league who think it's 50 50 that someone might take a chance. And I named two teams in my article, the Vegas Golden Knights and Carolina, as two teams that may be willing to take on that type of risk. 
Uh, there was some distressing news out of Pittsburgh yesterday, though ultimately the health was okay of Chris Letang, so that was a good sign. But Chris Letang will be out indefinitely after he had a stroke. Uh, the 35-year-old isn't experiencing any lasting effects. As a matter of fact, he actually visited with the team, went to their game earlier this week, and uh, apparently was asking Mike Sullivan if he could go skate. So all signs positive there, but uh, this is the second stroke that Latang has suffered. The first was back in 2014. What's the long-term outlook, or maybe even a short-term outlook for this season for Latang? Because the Penguins did make note that this is not believed to be career-threatening. Well, it, it's it's hard to answer because it's also it's not just a doctor answer it's also a letang comfort answer okay and yeah right yep. i think you just look back to um the previous stroke that he had in 2014 he missed approximately 2 months and that is sort of the guidepost i would think in terms of a potential return for chris letang could it be shorter yes could it be longer of course um and i know that the penguins said that it may not it's likely to not be career threatening. I just think if you're Chris Letang and you're in this spot, you've, you've been incredibly fortunate to this point that you haven't had lasting effects. Um, thankfully as an athlete, he, he knows his body so well and he was able to alert doctors and get the proper medical care. I, I believe he was experiencing migraines um, before um, being tested and going through the gamut. But at a certain point, having had this happen twice, the big question if I were in Chris Letang's camp that I'd be asking doctors today is how much of this is related to playing hockey? And if it is or not, would I be experiencing the same type of risk profile if I was just to live my life normally with my family, not as an athlete? So I think there's, you know, a lot to weigh. And I just think, you know, if you're Chris Letang or in his camp, you're probably sitting there in the back of your mind saying, what if I'm not so lucky next time? And I think that's probably got to be a concern moving forward, given that this has happened twice. I think everyone's praying and hoping it doesn't happen a third time. But, man, he's been pretty fortunate to this point that, you know, you've earned almost $100 million in your career or will. You know, you want to be able to enjoy it after the fact. So, Frank, on May 16th, uh, there will be a referendum in Tempe, Arizona, about whether or not the Coyotes will be allowed to build their new arena. And I'm talking about their new big boy arena, not the arena they're currently playing in. Um, have you heard anything about where the public sentiment is on this vote? Are the Coyotes optimistic? They'll get the yes on this. Um, what do you know about this? Because this is obviously going to be very important for the franchise. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, they've done a lot of the heavy lifting to this point now leaving it up to public vote. And I thought Elliot Friedman had an interesting point in his 32 thoughts notes today on sportsnet.ca about the idea of the phrasing and phraseology of the question is actually critically important. It's just like someone's luck of the draw ballot position as to who gets yeah. more votes or not, that for whatever reason, based on how it's worded, even though people in the community may not know what's at stake, they may just be inclined to click no. Um, so it, it's it's a tough spot to be in because you're, you're sort of at the whim of that. But in some ways, I think the Coyotes have put this in a spot where they can now do their community outreach. They can activate and go and spread the word, vote yes, that can help put this over the top. 
And in some ways, given how polarizing this issue has been, and I love the way Gary Bettman handled that protester. If you guys saw the clip, it was pretty awesome. Um, I like that the people can decide because this is $2.1 billion in unsecured bonds that need to be sold. Who's going to be picking up the tab for that? And given that it's hockey in Arizona, I think it's fair to ask the people who might ultimately be responsible for them as to whether or not they want to foot the bill at the end. Hey, Frank, do you know if that's the only issue that residents are going to be voting on? Like, did they just call a special election in in May to to decide on this one issue or are there a bunch of issues on the ballot because sometimes they'll just you know they'll have a bunch of things for for people to vote on i haven't been keeping up with local politics in arizona so i don't know i but i'm just wondering if you heard this because if it's just a one issue thing then you have to imagine that there'll be a lot of people that want this to go through that will be like yeah i'll go out and vote for that but maybe if some people aren't as they don't really care. They'll be like, I'm not going to go vote on that. So that might be an advantage for the Coyotes. I, I'm just not sure um, what the uh, the whole process is. I don't have all the specifics, but May would be a primary election. So it would be party-based. Um, and there will be positions in government that are further up the ballot. Okay. I don't know exactly what in this year every state varies, but there'll be other elected positions that are up for grabs, and this will be just one question at the very bottom of the ballot. And I do think, at least from what I've heard, it's the only question that will be posed on the ballot. So there may be some special attention paid to it. Yeah, the the Frege made the point uh, yesterday on Jeff Merrick's show too, and then uh, and then I guess he's he's written in his thirty two thoughts. It wasn't it was interesting that he pointed that out. And the example he gave was like, if the question is as simple as, do you support the Arizona Coyotes uh, development, you know, project? That's easy to say yeah to. Like, yeah, that's that sounds good. But if it's questioned as, do you support, um, you know, giving millions of dollars in taxpayer subsidies or however it's framed, if you've got that price attached to it, then all of a sudden there are people like, oh, I don't want to pay for that. So well, that, that actually happens a lot here. I don't I don't know what it's like for you guys in Van, but on our ballots, there's it's usually always phrased, "Do you approve this spending of dollars for this?" So they don't. At least where I am in Pennsylvania, they normally name it, and it's up for you to decide yes or no. And I almost always click yes, just because I'm like, ah, whatever. You're 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 a tax and spend Democrat. <laughs> Uh, I am not, but I'm in one <laughs> of those kidding, spots buddy. where it's, hey, let's, uh, whatever, let's let's get some new stuff built. That'll be awesome. <laughs> hey, Frank, thanks a lot for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Thursday. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. <laughs> you too. Thanks. thanks. Nice. Nice. Uh, Frank Sarvalli here from Daily. These guys always just spending with no responsive, no fiscal responsibility. What was the term? Down in Pennsylvania, it's been an issue for ages. What was the term you used again? Tax and spend. Tax and spend Democrat? Was that yeah. it? That's, yeah. yeah. Frank was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. You're on Canadian radio. Your yeah, nobody cares. Yeah, your political affiliation means nothing here. Uh, I, as much as I don't want to drive our listenership away. I strongly implore all of you to get to some sort of screen and watch the final few, well, 30 minutes of both matches right now at the FIFA World Cup between Canada and Morocco and Belgium and Croatia. To get you up to speed, Canada trails 2-1 to Morocco in the 62nd minute. Canada just made a massive 
triple substitution, bringing on Jonathan David, Atiba Hutchinson, and Ismail Kone, all for the final 30 minutes of the match. So, yeah, that's obvious. They're just push, push, push. For his, and they've moved uh, Alfonso Davies to like an out-and-out striker. So for as bad as this match has been for Canada, make no mistake, the beginning of this match and the errors made were horrendous. They still have a chance, and the fighting spirit that John Herbin loves to talk about will be on display over these final 30 minutes as they are clearly in go-for-it mode here. What does Morocco... If, if Morocco draws, because Croatia and Belgium are at nil-nil, if Croatia and Belgium stay at nil-nil, like Belgium needs to win, right? Belgium needs to win because Morocco and Croatia came in today on four points. Okay. So right. uh, that will not get it done for them because Belgium does not have the goal differential that Morocco and Croatia do. So Morocco doesn't need to push to win this game. They're already winning it. No, no, no. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Morocco's in great shape right yeah. now. Okay. Morocco's in great shape. Now, in the other match between Croatia and Belgium, Belgium brought on Romelu Lukaku for the first time this tournament at the half, and he has already hit the post and sailed a header over the bar. So the Belgians, you know, understanding that they need a result that's more than a draw here, are really pushing to try and get the goal against Croatia. This is the first time in this tournament that I've seen Kovacic and... Um, Brozovic and Modric, the midfielders, sniping at one another because they are under a lot more duress than, quite frankly, they were against Morocco. The Morocco pushed them mm-hmm. pretty well, but and then obviously Canada didn't push them that much. But there is some real pressure here from the Croatians because of the desperation of the Belgians and because they've brought on Lukaku for the first time this tournament and he's been banged up, but he's obviously a presence up front. Well, listen, I mean, if Morocco hangs on here against Canada and gets a win and Belgium just scores one goal... Croatia's out of this. Yes, that's what's in Which the, would be shocking. That would absolutely be shocking right now. So this is why the World Cup is currently constructed is so great on the final day of group stage matches for everyone. Because yesterday we talked about the drama between uh, Mexico and Saudi Arabia and then Poland playing Argentina. It was back and forth. And it looked like Poland was going through. And then it looked like Mexico was going to go through. And then it looked like it was going to come down to fair play points. You've got all to play for here in this group, and all four teams have a lot at stake, including Canada right now. They're going to make another substitution. Richie Larea is going to come into the match as well. I believe that's probably going to be for Atacube, so they are getting after it right now, trying to get that equalizing goal, maybe even trying to get the third goal to get a win for Canada. We will keep tabs right up until 9 o'clock. Uh, Larea in for Osorio, sorry. So right now, uh, all to play for in this group. Group F coming down right to the, fi- to the final moments here. Uh, I should mention this is the soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed. We'll do another quick one on the other side of the break as well as we try and regroup and set you up for the final 25-30 minutes in each of these matches. There's lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. It's the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. For my favorite part of the show. Well, that's a talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. Eight thirty-two on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. You know what comes next, right? Take it away.
Prep of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can do so by visiting them on the internet, campbell-pound.com today. Time now for another soccer report. We're brought to you, brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed pro all the way. Uh, Canada came within inches, inches of evening up their match with Morocco. It's actually been a pretty good second half from Canada. I give them a lot of credit. Uh, Atiba Hutchinson, the 39-year-old veteran, probably in his last ever match maybe with the Canadian national team, if we're being honest. Oh, my God, that's close. He hit a header off the crossbar that went down. And I'd say at least half the ball crossed the goal line, but it needs to cross the goal line fully. I think that was the goal that England scored against Germany in 1966. Yes. The controversial Jeff Jeff Hurst goal. Where there was not. (laughs) There wasn't VAR at the time. Goal line technology did not exist in 1966. (laughs) It was left up to a linesman and his eyeball. That was about as close as you can get without scoring a goal. Ball bounces off the crossbar, down on the goal line. It's about halfway over. Ball needs to clear the line fully, obviously. Uh, Canada is pushing like crazy right now. Herdman made four substitutions to get a lot of attacking players on the pitch. So we'll see what happens there. Meanwhile, Croatia, Belgium, 74th minute, nil-nil right now. Belgium pushing like crazy. They brought on more substitutes to continue to attack. I will say this. I got a feeling the way these two matches are going, something of significance is going to happen in the next 15 minutes or so. So we will keep an eye on it. But for now, I'm going to put a bow on this soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed. The pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed Pro all the way. Uh, it is time now for What We Learned. Before I get into them, uh, What We Learned, I, I want to like thank you, but also apologize. I know I've been like super distracted today. Mm-hmm. No, it's been fascinating to watch you. Right, but I've left you on an island on a number of occasions. Yeah. Nils Oman, do you think he's, uh, he's ready <laughs> for that 3C spot? I do appreciate that you continually come back to the Canucks minutia that, quite frankly, I do not care about at this moment. <laughs> but you just keep pushing and pushing. Or even out. on the best of days, you don't really care right. about you it. Know, if there's not a Canada match on. So, Mike, I want to get your thoughts on Jack Rathbone for a second here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he got smoked, eh? Did you see that? No. He yeah. got hit hard. He got hit hard. Abbotsford, yeah. And uh, what's it? Chase Waters had to jump in and mm-hmm. defend him. He got crunched on a pretty – it was a big hit. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's maybe that's the reason why you don't send guys down to the American League, right? Because there are some guys that like Ch- to do Chase that. Chase Waters like, welcome to the A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never saw this in the NHL, largely because he didn't play. But still, you didn't see it there. Um, anyway. Uh, so anyway, thanks, and I apologize. I promise I won't do this again. It's been th- 36 years, to be fair. Yeah, you definitely won't do it again during this tournament. <laughs> yeah, like, this is it. I knew this was a one-shot deal. Okay, uh, let's... Do we have any what we learned? So we wanted Laddie, you had one, right? You had some audio component to this. Yeah, well. so we were kind of laughing about it in the break because of uh, the person that put this question forward on the TNT broadcast. It was Rick Tockett, who has been, of course, uh, named in a lot of rumors around this team here in Vancouver yeah. about taking over the coaching staff and... Hey, lo and behold, what did he ask Iserman about? All the blown leads and the multi-goal blown leads specifically that we've been seeing around now, the Now, why would Rick Tockett want to know about a team that blows multi-goal leads, Greg? Why? I don't know. Maybe he's uh, he's working his way towards a, a <laughs> possible job, but we'll see. It's uh, It was actually a really interesting answer. Uh, Iserman gave a very heartfelt answer and, and gets a little technical about why we're seeing it more, uh, but he called it a transitional phase in the game. and. Take a listen to Iserman's breakdown of at least why we're seeing so many multi-goal blown leads in the NHL. 
I think our game, the, the league in general, is in a real transition. You've got a lot of teams playing, um, uh, you know, a lot of puck possession, a lot of motion. If you watch Toronto, uh, we just played them the other night. Uh, they might be one of the best teams at it, but in the offensive zone, they're very active. Uh, their D are very active in the offense, and the bigger end zones, teams are having trouble defending, figuring out a way of defending. It used to be, you know, when we played, it was pretty simple. Three on three down low, and wingers cover the points. Now, with these D so active and so much more room, you're having a lot of switches. Uh, teams defend with overloads in the corners, which creates confusion when the offensive team breaks, uh, uh, breaks uh, the puck out of the corner. So, the game is in transition, and I think the offensive side of coaching has is, is, is overtaken the defensive side, and now teams are going to, coaches are going to have to adjust to come up with better defensive techniques or systems to, uh, to defend a little bit. I think right now, one of the things that we're seeing is we're asking defensemen to do so much that we aren't really sure what kind of defenseman you need to be, right? Well, if, the definition if, of a good defenseman, I think, has changed in recent years. But I just think so much more is on them now, yeah. right? Like you can't have – it used to be you could just be a big, you know, fairly slow-footed guy. Darian Hatcher. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I mean Darian Hatcher was considered one of the best defensemen in the NHL because he could hook and hold and slash and cross-check and you didn't have the speed out there. Now we're asking defensemen, okay, you've still got to be really good defensively and we want you to be physical and strong and – Break up the cycle along the wall. But, oh, but you also got to be able to move the puck, and we want you to be able to pinch in and, and, and be part of the offense too. So can you do all that? And then they're, the, the big guys are like, well, I can't do – like, I'm big. Look at me. Like, it's really hard for me to move around and move the puck and, you know, uh, get, pinch in and then be able to get back. And then, and then the little guys are like, uh, how do I stop this cycle against this 230-pound centerman? How, are you, how am I supposed to do that? And you're like, figure it out, right? Natushkin like, bearing down on you. Yeah, him. so it's really, it's, really, it's really tough. And I think it's great for the game that it's gotten to this point. Um, it's probably still an echo of the, new, the the rule changes that were brought in quite a long time ago now, but I think we all knew that it was going to have to evolve. Yeah. I think there's a reason why teams are having trouble finding defensemen. It's just because a lot of defensemen, like you have to be everything to everyone. You have to do so, so much in order to be a good defenseman now. The house of negativity will say that the Canucks blew seven multi-goal leads this season. The house of positivity will say that they're just trendsetters, that they're just out there doing the thing that the rest of the NHL will soon catch up with. I will say this. There's no excusing how many multi-goal leads the Canucks have blown this year, right? I think we can all agree on this. Seven through 20-some-odd games is way too much, but... I will give the slightest bit of credence to the people that say, look around the league. Yeah, It's happening a lot in a lot of different places. Like the Rangers just went through a stretch where I mm-hmm. think they blew two in two games. Um, and the other thing that you got to consider is that goal scoring is up by a, not a super significant margin, but enough that it deserves uh, mention and eyeballs on it. Uh, it obviously got crystallized the other day when uh, Seattle and LA went with that 9-8 overtime <laughs> yeah. game, right? And everyone there must have been a, a lot of overload defending on that. Do you know <laughs> and the, confusion that game set an NHL record? It had six game tying goals. <laughs> that's a like that, that's. Can you imagine trying to write that if you were the poor stringer that was trying to do a game story on that? Yeah, you'd be right. Like you're just whiteout all over your screen. But I think more to the point, what we're seeing is 
the knock-on effect of a crackdown with a lot of the obstruction, all cross-checking, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's and the idea is years of repetitive behavior. If you continually call the penalties and make sure that guys aren't being as physical as they used to be able to be. It makes it harder to defend. Well, I think down the line too, you know, in in uh, junior and, and and minor hockey or youth hockey, the game is being played differently. Yeah, that's true too. Right, so yeah. you're developing different types of players. There's also a lot less fighting. In the league, there's a lot yeah. less fighting in junior. Can, can I speak about the goalies a little bit too? Yes, the, please. The, it's kind of a transitional period for goalies as well. It, it's almost like we feel very seen right now because all these sharp angle goals are going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, low to high passing plays are, are very crucial, especially on the power play. Uh, these are things that we've, as goalies, have taught to, to, to sort of quell those type of plays in recent years. But players have figured it out. They, they figured out ways to beat goalies right. uh, in, in the new ways that we've discovered to try to. Uh, what, is, what, what, is, what is a weakness of, for lack of a better way of saying, uh, the new goaltending style compared to. The old. Well, the, the, Mental. The, the post play, when you hear Woodley talk about reverse VH all the time, mm-hmm. guys are, are, are so uh, inclined to, to drop into that position yeah. that it's almost become a comfort position for them. Um, and you're seeing smart like shooters. Da- like downward dog in yoga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're seeing good smart shooters. It's their rest position. <laughs> smart shooters will take the puck right to that lip of where right the bottom of the, the faceoff circle is. Uh-huh. And that's, where you're, that's, the, that's the moment where the goalie needs to decide, do I drop into reverse or do I stay standing up? Right. And the good shooters will kind of toy with that location. Mm. And then well, as soon as the goalie drops down, we'll rip it up over the shoulder. And that's part of the reason I think uh, we're seeing Hughes a little more Jack Hughes scored a goal last week. Did yeah. you see this one where he basically shot it? He was in the corner from the goal line. And he put it right at the goalie's neck, essentially, which also yeah. coincided with the crossbar. And it's, I mean, under, I think, previous circumstances, you would have said, like, it's an awful goal to surrender, and it's an ugly one. But the shot was amazing. It had curl on it. <laughs> you're essentially forcing the shooter to, to make an amazing shot to the top corner, and you're not allowing those low ones along the ice. You know, how we, you know how we talk about kids these days getting taught better ways to skate than when we were, sure. you know, learning hockey you know, it was kind of like, do your crossovers. Now it's just, it's so much edge work. The same can be said for shooting. Yeah. Like we were taught, you know, we were taught, this is the wrist shot. This is a snapshot. And that's a slap shot. Don't try the slap shot. Right. Yeah. Like, and, but now it's, <laughs> don't do it's, that. it's so, yeah, you got a big heavy wood stick. You're not going to be able to raise, raise the puck now in part because of the technology, but also just because of advances in, you know, people experimenting with different ways of shooting there are so many more weapons that are being taught yeah. to the kids offensively. I had a friend who's my age, and he helps a little bit at the North Shore Winter Club, where, of course, Connor Bedard plays, right? Yeah. And, or, or used to play and still skates there. And he was, and Yannick Hansen coaches there in minor hockey. So it's, a, I mean, it's a very good program. Okay. And he was out on the ice helping um, his son with his, his, his hockey, like his son's like eight. And he was just out there shooting the puck as you do. And one of the coaches from the winter club came up to him and was like, Hey, can I show you a few things? Like, Hmm. as in, we don't really shoot the puck. Like you're shooting the puck anymore. (laughs) Like you don't need to, because the sticks have so much better technology. Now you don't need to take as much of a, a wind up. You just like, you just, you shoot it differently. I can't explain it because I don't know how to do it and I'm not going to learn it because I'm pretty old, but like, I know watching the younger kids, uh, playing hockey now and more importantly, watching them practice, Mm -hmm. they practice 
much different stuff than we did. And this has been very, very difficult to have this conversation with you because you are watching a soccer game. I'm paying attention, though. Yeah, yeah, Canada's losing 2-1. Austin, uh, yeah, they're like, yeah, 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 different types of shooting. No, yeah. no, no, that was when Austin Matthews broke into the NHL. As everyone said, it's the the positions from which he releases his shot mm-hmm. is that he can get the puck really tight into his body, yet still risk the puck where you can't get the normal lift, you wouldn't right. think. Well, players had to figure out a way to stop getting their shots blocked all the time by shin pads, right? You're yeah. one-on-one with, with the defenseman. Normally, you drag it towards you and shoot it. Now, there's all sorts of different ways to do it, right? Like, you can push it and shoot it uh, as opposed to just dragging it because defensemen are like, yeah, I, I know that move you're going to make, and it's actually quite well, easy and, to defend, And right? shooters, I think, have figured out more subtle ways to be sneaky, and, and that's changing the shooting angle or, yeah. or hiding, you know, hiding the blade of the stick or, or which way they're going to go until the last possible second. So stuff like that I don't think really existed when you were coming up through the ranks. God, no. 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 Moo cow. Well, they just invented electricity when Bruff was practicing, right? So, I mean, remember. <laughs> so hard to shoot with no lights. <laughs> yeah, I played with, like, a wicker stick. <laughs> <laughs> he got to practice in a horse-drawn carriage. <laughs> Those horses the hated puck, practice. The, the puck was actually just a piece of coal yeah. <laughs> that they used. <laughs> we to have one hum- puck, kids. One puck. <laughs> to the humanoids we go. We're gonna. I just want to go so far afield. I kind of love this question because it's ridiculous, but also it's an ask us anything, but also it's kind of funny. Table saw James, ask us anything. Because we're talking so much about uh, jersey retirement ceremonies and raising to the rafters. You have to pick three Vancouver Grizzlies jerseys to retire. Who makes it up there? And who's in the ring of honor? And no, you can't pick John ja Morant. That's funny, actually, because... I went a few weeks ago to see the the Grizzly Truth, the Cat Jamie documentary mm-hmm. about why the Grizzlies left, and she ta- she did a great job talking to a lot of the different Grizzlies. The the two my, my two buddies that I went with, we finally went got to the end of the film, and I was like, I don't know who the who I would pick as the best players. Like I haven't seen all of them now, and in retrospect, like Sharif, Sharif, yeah, Bibby. Oh, yeah. And then I, number three is pretty up for grabs. Benoit Benjamin. <laughs> Chris King. <laughs> those guys won those games. It's, it was shocking, honestly, how just how bad that they were in retrospect. Because even Sharif's career was a study in underachievement and disappointment. I mean, the, the big footnote to his career was that he played so long and barely got any playoff mm-hmm. times, right? And so... Uh, I don't know who the three would be, but I think it would be Sharif, Bibby, and then fill in the blank here. And there would be no ring of honor. There would be no ring of honor. Chayton and Surrey, what we learned with how exciting these final group matches have been so far, it's a shame this won't carry over to 2026 because FIFA, being FIFA, got greedy and decided 48 teams and only two guaranteed group matches will be so much better than it, what, it, what it currently is now. So... That's the plan right now for 2026. There would be 48 teams, yep. so 16 groups, of so three, <laughs> so three per group. Yep. Now that could still change. Nothing, I feel set, like. nothing is completely I don't think anything set in stone. Is set in stone. I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's way too much. I think it's way too much, right? You've got 30. It just seems like there's going to be so much um, unfairness in the groups, too. you got 32 teams right now, and let's be honest, um, it's a bit watered down, the, the competition. Mm-hmm. There, like, there were some not good teams at this World Cup. 
You might be watching one of them right now, but um, you yeah, know, Belgium. Yeah, right. Belgium was a huge disappointment. <laughs> um, but Wales was really bad, mm-hmm. and they went and had a bad tournament. Um, you know, D- Denmark. If you look back, Denmark's a good team, though. But you look back on their qualifying. And they played like the Faroe Islands and yeah. Moldova. I just wouldn't put them in that category. But I'm just saying they had a bad term. But the, there is there is some like Qatar, obviously, the hosts. And mm-hmm. I mean, you can say how they got here and whatever. But there's at 32, you're going to Costa Rica losing seven nil in their first game. Yes, they made a comeback oh, afterwards. Oh, oh my! Oh, Belgium should have scored. Oh my word! Belgium. Oh my days! Uh, Romelu Lukaku. With a wide open net in the 89th oh minute. Is he a little rusty or something? He's onside. This is good. Is oh. he onside? Yeah, he is absolutely onside. This counts if it goes in. Oh, boy. The ball just basically hit him in the chest when all he had to do was body it into the net, and he could not do it. Yikes. If Belgium goes out and it's looking increasingly <laughs> likely like that's going to happen, he j- so he's also hit, he hit the post earlier in this half and skied a header. We're in the 89th minute in Canada and Morocco. Canada's p- pushing furiously here to try and get an equalizer. But if it stands right now, Morocco goes through as the group winner and Croatia goes in as the runner-up. And that means Belgium is eliminated from the group stage after finishing third at the last World Cup. Uh, unsigned what we learned, Dan Murphy is not only a stud muffin. This is actually might be from Shorty. Uh, but he's a sports analyst genius with his take on your show before the first game of the year when he said Vancouver's most important player for getting off to a good start and making the playoffs was going to be Thatcher Demko. Mm. You all were talking about PD and JT and Kuzmenko and the weak defensive core, but clearly Demko not being bubble Demko has been the main reason we've struggled Murph freaking nailed it. Murph for president. I don't think he's going to run for president. He's not American. The Demko thing was always in the back of my mind because I just don't trust goalies overall. But it wasn't something that I focused on as a debate topic because Demko had given us, other than the fact that he's a goalie, no reason to think that he was going to struggle as badly as he has struggled this season. My focus, if there was a goaltending thing, was frankly Spencer Martin and how he was going to be as a backup. Was he going to be reliable enough that Thatcher Demko could actually get the rest that he needed in case the Canucks got to the playoffs and you want Thatcher Demko nice and rested? It just goes to show you that oftentimes it's the things that you assume are going to be okay that you just you shouldn't necessarily make those assumptions i get the text but i would disagree that we didn't discuss that we just discussed it in a different way i remember clearly saying as we were doing our season preview stuff on a number of occasions if demko is not the demko that we saw last year like this season is is toast yeah we just kind of threw it out there as a just remember kind of thing but 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 it it doesn't really have much there's not much area to debate because there wasn't there wasn't anything out there that was like what if he like he doesn't have a history of of inconsistency really? No, and nothing you know? nothing to suggest that he would have such a tough start to the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the off season surgery and a potential injury, but there I mean, we got very little on that because he came back to camp and looked healthy and everything. And then I think we also kind of assumed that we would see a carryover from last year in terms of style of play, including Demko being great. And if anything, 
I thought that they might actually be a little bit more stout and resolute defensively because that's what Rutherford wanted in terms of yeah. structure. Yeah. So that is, it was a, it was a shock to put it mildly. And then now you're kind of seeing the run on effect of having non bubble Demko in there. But I, I would disagree. I thought we covered that and talked about it quite a bit in our preseason preview stuff. So Demko, uh, Demko will get the start tonight, right? I like put that in the to, notes right? as to, the, to the questions. It's, it's worth mentioning that what we learned is also the ticket winner as well. His name's Robert, so congrats to he Robert. He to go see the Coyotes on Saturday. He's forced to go see the Coyotes on Saturday. <laughs> Lucky Rob. Um, when, we're, you know, when we're talking about the game tonight, I threw it in the notes almost jokingly. I'm like, this has to be a Demko game. Mm-hmm. Dot, yeah, dot, it dot. has to be. Ellipses, right? Oh, it will be. Right? It yeah. has to be. Yeah. Um, but the fact that we're even having the conversation. The other one, of course, is who will draw into the lineup. If you missed it earlier, we talked to Batch. No confirmations as of yet, but I'm going to assume that Stadnik has got a shot of going in over Gar- Two healthy scratches in the first 25 games, that would be, for Connor Garland. Uh, has gone 15 games without a goal. It's uh, This is not helping his trade value, is it? So we're done. We're done at the uh, group F is done. Belgium, Belgium is out. Belgium is out of the world cup. This is, this is happening live right in front of us here. Mm. Croatia goes through Belgium is out and Morocco is about 40 seconds away from winning the group, Jason, which I don't think a lot of people would have expected or anticipated or wagered on. At the start of this tournament, there is absolute despair on the faces of the Belgian players right now who came into this tournament as group favorites. Is that mm-hmm. fair to say? Yep. Second ranked team in FIFA in the world. Say what you will about the FIFA rankings. And they have crashed out in spectacular fashion here. Canada is still looking to try and get a result. We are a handful of time and that is it. We are final. The Moroccan players pour onto the pitch as they have won the group and will move on to the round of 16. Canada is out of the 2022 World Cup, having not won a game, having not garnered a point, and scoring just two goals, one of which was an own goal. Go Canucks, go. We got to go. We will be back tomorrow. Signing off, I have been Mike Halford. He has been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog, and he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.